And we are back. Episode 100 and something of the Brew Theology Podcast. We're up there in the hundreds, mid-100s. It's summertime. By the time you are listening to this, it could be the fall. We don't know. We've got a lot of podcasts that you've already listened to that we have not listened to yet. And that's kind of exciting that right now we're in the future as we're listening to this podcast. So Janelle and I are about to go to the Wild Goose Festival. We'll be back by the time everybody's listening to this. Tonight, Rob and Heather are with us. We're talking about the historical Jesus tonight. Your own personal historical Jesus, of course, because everybody's got their take on this. All these quests for who this rabbi, Essene, cynic, prophet, son of man is. So we'll, we'll, we'll define terms later, but this will be exciting tonight. This, this topic excites a lot of us around the table. I want to say all of us because we're all here, so it should. <laughs> man. And I think uh, maybe selfishly for me is because this is finally like a topic I go, okay, this is stuff I studied. This is stuff I was raised in, kind of. I had to learn some of this later. Whereas other topics that, you know, the last... It's all new. It's totally new. So I kind of like during the headlights at times when people are defining terms. So we we will define terms tonight for those that don't know what we're talking about with the historical Jesus. And before we do that, conversational guidelines. One, no soapbox is allowed. So no one person or viewpoint gets the last word. Two, respect all others and their viewpoints. Number three is extend courtesy by listening well. And then four, it's all up for discussion. A lot of rabbit trails, rabbit holes. Overall, we tell people don't be a jerk. In Jersey, they say douchebag. Whatever word you want to put in there. I don't think they use the word bag in there. I think they just say douche. Okay. Yeah. We've never used that term in Denver. I feel like that'd be offensive. Jersey. To- totally know. Jersey of them to put that in there. Probably. You know, I, so I, it's funny because I, I lived there for a while. And Nate and I worked at a, oh, didn't we barely overlap with like a week at the same church. That's how we knew each other. And yeah, I think, I think, yeah, it's very Jersey. Yeah. Having lived there and the culture and whatnot. But it's funny. So, you know, there's a stereotype of all cultures. When you go to the Jersey Shore, you full on see it. Like it, you feel like, oh, I'm, I'm living the show. Did you guys ever watch the Jersey Shore? Maybe once. I've experienced it. Yeah. I watched the show, figured it had to be pretty close to reality. But I will say that the church that we worked at was nothing like the show. I'm just going to say that. Good church, good people. We did talk a lot about Jesus since it was a church. We all grew up in church, so we're going to do our uh, very small, not insignificant, but, but our short summaries of our upbringing. So you've heard all of us on the podcast before, so we'll keep this within 30 seconds. So Ryan, raised Southern Baptist, evangelical state of Texas. Over the years, have deconstructed quite a bit of that, gleaned a lot from the Anabaptist, the UMC Wesleyan tradition, some Pentecostal tendencies, and the first century Jesus Sage, by the way. So this is why this is exciting. So I'm the evolving Anabaptist method Jucostal guy, but now I say uh-huh. I just like doing interfaith dialogue and creating interfaith communities. That's it? That's it. Uh, I'm Janelle, uh, born and raised in the Church of the Nazarene, left there seven years ago. Uh, Generally take on the label of progressive Christian. Um, Yeah, that's it. Not super exciting. Yes, it is. (laughs) Your life is very exciting. (laughs) You're laughing. Come on. I don't know. There, I mean, I, I think that the more that we do this work, the more I want to be really careful about what, it, what I say when I say Christian and make sure that's not excluding people um, because having a bigger tent is how we're going to change the world. And we've got to find a way to do that, even if we hold on to the thing that we love about our tradition and our upbringing or background, there's got to be space for everybody else to join us or none of this really means anything. Well, that, that's why we should just call you a universal Christian, like like Richard <laughs> Gore would say. Then but I even then, to... you still you still have the word Christ in there. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. I'm Heather, and I was raised in the progressive side of the now fractured UMC, and I am super excited about this particular concept because I actually took religion 376 in college, which was titled the historical life of Jesus. We have an expert at the table. (laughs) Let's see what I remember. 
Uh, I'm Rob. I grew up in a Catholic household and in the Catholic faith. Uh, still consider myself ooh, really hard to say on a podcast that's going to be broadcast Catholic? Question mark. Um, that's a little complicated at this point in time, and also Christian. But I, I really explored a lot about uh, a lot related to Buddhism, Quakerism, uh, some Sikhism. Uh, and, uh, and have enjoyed the interfaith conversations and dialogue, uh, and am a big for- fan of Roar mentioned a few minutes ago and the transcendent include phrase, of course, uh, is, uh, one that feels important to me. So I'm super excited for tonight, um, to talk about some excommunicated priests or, and, or, people who thought they were going to be priests and decided that they were more interested in historical Jesus. So thanks for having me. Okay. So basically tonight, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to dive into what we all kind of think by giving a little bit of context and background as well within these questions. So as you all know, this is a microcosm of what you would experience in Denver or any chapter for that matter around the country. And so we don't speak for all chapters or all even our own community because there are multiple tables going on with different. And even if we had the same table two nights in a row, which never happens because there's always going to be somebody new at your table. Right. These conversations are always evolving and changing. And let's just say this is not a static community, which is the dynamic part of it. So when we talk about our our kind of our, our opinions and whatnot, um, this doesn't. Yeah, this doesn't speak for all people. Nope. Yeah. And tonight, uh, the historical Jesus. We're, <laughs> how do you how do you put this in a nutshell? So we're gonna just over overarching. If you've never heard about this concept before, you know, uh, around I don't know, 18th century or so, scholars started to think, and this this would have been like you know, post sort of Enlightenment and Renaissance and Reformation. So all this stuff had happened. Basically, the academic world was at its height. And so then you had this ancient text that had been canonized through all these centuries of, uh, you know, and Rob, we won't get into the history of how it was canonized in the Catholic Church. But Protestants have said, yeah, we've got our canon too. It includes uh, most of the Catholic Bible as well, and then the, the Hebrew Scriptures. But then, you know, after a while, this text has been laying there, and it's been on people's uh, nightstands or under their bed, occasionally on Sunday morning or Wednesday night Bible study. And then you teach your kids these stories, and suddenly people say, are these, are these true? Did these stories happen? And, and if they did happen, like, what's the source behind it? What's the, let's talk about anthropology. Let's talk about context. So nobody really even talked about a, a Jewish Messiah, I mean, which, which was sort of crazy now. But back then, like, yeah, that was Je- huge. Jesus was Jesus Jewish. So like, okay, so it says he's a rabbi. Well, what's a rabbi in the first century? Well, rabbi, you know, then you had this whole thing about, the rabbinical stuff, which Pam talked about in her podcast of how were rabbis, how did that actual culture evolve after the second temple fell in 70 AD? So uh, a lot is taking place here. Um, Also, as the gospels come to be, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptics, and then you have John. Well, which one borrowed from what text? Is there another text that nobody knows about? That's called Q. It's speculative. You know, he's on Star Trek, right? I did not know this, but here comes... We've had, we've had some tricky conversations in the past couple of podcasts, so there it is again. Don't worry, I'll bring out some Will Ferrell later. later. Um, so uh, let's define terms first, and then we'll go into the questions. So the only way I can do this probably is basically just to read some of this stuff. And so first off, so scholars, they use these criticisms such as form criticism and redaction criticism, along with a speculative source, which I talked about named Q, as Janelle referred to as it means to break down the world and the life teachings of Jesus. So form criticism, it sorts components of scripture by literary outline and attempts to map out each form to the time of oral transmission. So in composing the four gospels in the New Testament, scholars believe that the earliest followers of Jesus, that they used oral traditions, which is not surprising today, but during the 18th century, like, wow, oral tradition, what is that? That's how things happened back then. So form criticism wants to identify the text's genre, and the literary form in order to better grasp the sociological setting of Scripture. Um, Now, moving kind of down to redaction criticism, it deems that the author of the given text as the editor, 
So redacting, right, as editors do. It looks at how the redactors formed and sculpted the narrative to communicate specific theological goals. So, for instance, Luke's gospel, if you read Luke's gospel, has a very social justice agenda. And I remember even in seminary writing a a paper that was just on the social justice aspects of Jesus. And where did I go? Luke. Because the others kind of have it, but Luke's all about it. Uh, So they look into the, these scholars, they look into the forms of criticism such as source. So sources search for the actual original sources which lie behind the text. So Mark was written first, but Matthew and Luke used Mark and its supposed lost sources we talked about earlier, Q. Q. And it's similar to Matthew and Luke, but it's lost on Mark's gospel. So this is where it gets kind of confusing and weird. And then you have the canonical aspect. So ex- examining the final form of the text, which we talked about, the canon. Catholics have their canon. Protestants have theirs. And then, of course, the Hebrew scriptures as well. Um, then you have rhetorical, which is the interest in the relationship between the text and the intended audience within their community. You have narrative. when That, that focuses on... Obviously, the narrative structure and the compositions, the plot, and all those kind of fun things that English teachers love. And then you have the socio-scientific, which is kind of funny, the scientific part, because people in the first century weren't scientific. (laughs) But when you have scientists looking at a text, they're like, they're going to have that modern mind. And that draws on the anthropological and the sociological issues behind the text. And then lastly, we have postmodern criticism which is a, it was a buzzword for so long, about a decade ago. People rarely two. use it now. Was it two now? Yeah, we're, we're that old. old. So that kind of deconstructs the text and it asks questions such as, so, okay, what are we going to do about this ethnic cleansing in the book of Joshua, not to mention most of the Bible? <laughs> yeah. Now, um, there's been three quests for the historical Jesus, but at the end of the day, you have this this sage from Galilee who gathers 12 men. He preaches this uh, radical message about the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, depending on the text, teaches in parables, heals people, eventually is an insurrectionist against the state or the, or the empire of Rome, gets crucified, and then there's this resurrection story, which is like a whole other account that leads to all kinds of speculative uh, theories and uh, theologies, if you will, on what is resurrection then and what is it today? And is there a pre-Easter Jesus and a post-Easter Jesus, which N.T. Wright and Marcus Borg, which they were sparring partners, they argued about that quite a bit, that, you know, there's a difference between the pre-Easter and the post-Easter Jesus. Other people may really uh, spit in your beer if you say that at church, for sure. Although, why would there be beer, why would there be beer drinking at church? Yeah. We could try it. Maybe spitting in your coffee at church. How about that? Some churches are trying it, right? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, like in Denver. <laughs> uh, so then, you know, these questions that we're asking in all that nerdiness is um, who, who was that I, I think the most interesting man in the world? Jesus, Yeshua, Jesus, Jesus H, Christ. Is he, a, you know, is he a rabbi? If so, what kind of rabbi was he? Was he an Essene? Because there's talks on that. There's talks on him being a zealot. And what is son of man? What is son of God? What are all these sort of titles that, that are, are specifically given in the text? So what we'll do is, with all that background knowledge, we'll start with our first question and try to dig in with that background. You guys good to go? Sounds good. Let's do it. So what do you all find interesting? How about that? Or just provocative regarding these aspects of the historical Jesus, and then even maybe perhaps this evolution of Jesus via Christianity? Big question. I feel like we spent the first hour of last week on this one question. One thing that jumps to mind is that um, that the people that were doing these quests for the historical Jesus were they were dealing with a Bible that they wanted to understand more, and they were doing it out of this. I mean, they just they wanted to know what was really going on, what was happening. And I find it interesting now that the backlash to a lot of this has been the movement towards infallibility and inerrancy. That like that instead of wanting to engage with the quest for the historical Jesus and wrestle with the things they find and have to like answer them, it's just what's written in the King James is what is. And that's it. And if you mess with that, you're not a Christian. And that's a that is a really kind of head in the sand response to from everything I've studied about these people, 
they were really trying to find truth. They really wanted to know. They weren't trying to destroy Jesus. They weren't trying to rip the Bible apart. They were trying to understand. And then the response to that is, okay, let's just shut down the discussion. Um, And I think that that has led to a huge split, especially in American Christianity, of how do we engage the Bible and how do we understand Christ? Um, Because if you're not allowed to ask questions anymore... And I don't know why it's so scary to ask the the historical question. So if if there was a a man that liberals and conservatives in all in between actually believe existed, which most scholars would say a, a, a Jewish sage named Jesus existed and he caused some kind of a ruckus, okay? And if that's the case, that there's history there, so why not want to look into that 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 world? Yeah. I think it's it's an exciting world. It doesn't matter if you land as a Southern Baptist evangelical or a flaming, you know, uh, say flaming left, <laughs> you know, whatever it is, you know. I don't want to, I don't want to like sort of name a denomination to get in trouble, but you know what I'm saying? You know who you are out there. <laughs> <laughs> what I found really interesting when we were talking last week was that we all seem, everybody at our table seemed very surprised by everybody else's explanation of who Jesus was. And in the end, it, it, it definitely became the situation where it was like, well, this person, how I understand this person to be is my reflection of him. So my theology reflecting back on and like we, like what you were talking about with um, the evangelicals not questioning or the liberals thinking, you know, it's kind of the story that matters, that sort of thing. Um, I just thought that that was, it was definitely universal and it was, it was just really interesting that, I think that we were all shocked by each other's um, impression of, you know, how we understood this to be before we talked about it. Hence personal historical Jesus. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's what's scary for people too, about, about uh, engaging in historical Jesus. Like our lives don't revolve around religion in the same way that they uh, did at one point in American history. Right. Even, you know, Certainly there's like a continuum. Some people, you know, their life really does revolve around Christianity or spirituality in some way. But for a lot of mainstream Americans, whatever we'll say, uh, life doesn't revolve around the church in the same way that it did. Like, and even in like Europe, you're talking about the, you know, when you you look at history and the building of these huge uh, cathedrals in Europe, right? That were essentially like as close to heaven on earth as you'll be. And you go there on Sunday with your family. That's not the way that we experience the formal church in the U S anymore. And so engaging in some of this stuff takes hard work. All of us around the table last week are totally interested in this. And, uh, but it's much easier to, you know, look your kid in the eye and say like, no, this is what Jesus said. And no, this is what the Bible says. And that is, that's the divine word of God. And that's what, that's what we pay attention to. And that's what we care about. So is it, is it possibly scary for a lot of people of all types that Jesus was Jewish? Is that the scariest start place to start? Because if he's Jewish, then he's not starting a new religion, which is Christianity. He actually stayed Jewish his whole life. I don't, I mean, if, if you're talking about literalists, I think most of them gloss over that and don't even We don't talk about it. Jesus the Jew, right? No, we don't even talk about it. Right. Um, but once it, but, you start but, to progress since, out of since there, we are talking yeah. about it, and since you know, eventually people, if they, if they do any kind of historical research, will go, yeah, I mean, here's where he was born, here's where he died, so he clearly was Jewish. Yeah. There was no such thing as Christianity for hundreds of years later, like an actual defined religion. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it, it it it's fascinating, right? Though, and then and we do talk about how the inscription on the crucifix was, you know, "All hail King of the Jews," like as a as a uh, mockery, a mockery to Jesus, you know, right? So it's uh, interesting that we talk about that, but we don't talk about Jesus the Jew. And we were totally discussing at my table last week about how several of us were interested in Jesus the Jew, which is what makes this so much fun and interesting. Uh, and the conversation about, uh, about the evolution of Jesus via Christianity, I mean, is like an endlessly fascinating 
conversation. Oh, yeah. I, mean, yeah. I mean, for me, so this was going back. I think I've, I've shared this on the podcast before. So I apologize if you've heard this double speed it or fast forward. I'm not going to say too much about this. But it was when I was a youth pastor in my, I think, my late 20s, and I was reading Leviticus, because that's what good youth pastors do, by the way. And I had to, I had to come to a, a come-to-Jesus moment of, this is the Bible that Jesus would have had. He had no idea what this New Testament thing was, or what Paul wrote about, or even what they wrote about him, for that matter. But he knew Leviticus. So then I'm getting to all these festivals. I'm like, what? How, come, how come we don't celebrate them? And so I had... a another colleague of mine who said, well, here, here's a number to a Jewish rabbi in town. Maybe you should talk to him. Oh my goodness. I would love to go back in time and listen to that phone, initial phone conversation. And this, this Jewish rabbi was phenomenal. He said, well, you know, he, and he, he let me talk to him for over an hour on the phone. And then he said, why don't you come to one of our services? So, but that, that's what, for me, that was the unraveling was that this was his religion. And I think it reshaped my faith and it created I think a more expansive, universal faith. And we use that word tonight already. Mm-hmm. And so people would say, you know, how did Ryan turn liberal? If you want to, because if they, people want to put labels on me, I'm like, well, it was the, the, the Jewish part, really. So you can blame the, the actual man who was born in Galilee. I mean, or sorry, he wasn't born there. He's born in Bethlehem, raised in Galilee. There you go. I think that's really important what you were saying because. Outside of the context of the Jewish history, how how can you actually understand this man and what he was doing in his time on earth? And the the Old Testament, like the the Bible that he had to reference, if if you are to believe that he is the Messiah and you know, um, has been predicted for generation after generation after generation, you have to understand that part of the story to understand what his significance is. Oh, yeah. I mean, even so today, Caroline comes home from VBS, and I'm like, so what's your Bible story today? So for those that know, Vacation Bible School, VBS. And she says, oh, it was about, it was about slavery. And I'm like, okay, so tell me about that. We, we talked to her a little bit about slavery in the past, and you know, Black Lives Matter and just kind of kept it, you know, on that kindergarten, first grade level. And so I'm, I'm telling her, like, oh, you realize, like, like this Exodus story is, is still a part of our story today as those who claim Christ, right, as Jesus followers. And she said, well, is, is Pharaoh, is he still around? Like, didn't he die? And I was like, yes. But this, I said, I didn't say the spiritual Pharaoh. I was like, the essence of Pharaoh is always with us. And that is the story that Jesus battles in his time. Of course, she's not, at that point, I've lost her, right? You know, like, she's thinking, Pharaoh's dead, right, Dad? And I'm like, well, Pharaoh's still with us. And Pharaoh is like, Pharaoh is Caesar. You know, this is, and then uh, Egypt is Rome. And you can go back to Babylon and Assyria. So now, of course, we get into the United States and that gets a little bit more messy, you know, with global powers that be. The empire. Right. Totally the empire. Yeah. All right, let's let's move on before we uh, whew, get crucified online. <laughs> Why would we? I'm just nah. you, know, you never know. Somebody might be listening, Big Brother. So uh, what what does Jesus is Lord mean? Let's start there because we just started going there. Jesus is Lord, contextually, if you will, personally, because you, Heather, you talked about how personal this was for a lot of people, and then we'll get to Son of Man, Son of God, etc. So let's start with Jesus is Lord. That was that was a statement. That was the the cry. Still is for a lot of people. You see that on on church signs. Well, and that, uh, and if I'm wrong, just correct me. That's a title for the government at the time, an empire title. And so that's really his followers trying to declare this rebellion, which he himself was like, no, that's not what this is about. Um, But that title is not actually, and I never knew that. I mean, that's not a Christian title. That's not like a spiritual title. That's a, that's a government. (laughs) Who who walks around saying Lord, Lord Vader, Lord. (laughs) Like this, this is a hierarchical title of government and empire and so with that in mind, like it's actually not that appealing. It's not anymore. appealing. I mean, Lord means master. So that really doesn't sound appealing. Masters of the universe. Well, that's cool. <laughs> then all of a sudden I'm He-Man. 
She-Ra. By the power of Grayskull. So, who has the power? Jesus or Caesar? <laughs> well, and that's like the other thing about Jesus as Lord, right? I, I, I feel like that was a great kickoff to like the history of the term Lord, right? And being yeah. historically con- contextual, right? Uh, I mean, the, the other thing, the other thing about like Jesus as Lord, you know, in terms of followers, in terms of having this significance in the face of being the peasant, you know, to um, the peasant of the day is like, you know, Jesus, uh, a lot of scholars, this isn't my, uh, this isn't my thought, right? Some of these uh, historical Jesus scholars discuss how, you know, John the Baptist was, was kind of like your, your, you know, uh, your God will second coming apocalyptic God will, um, save the world and the oppressed will be lifted up and the, you know, the wicked will be taken down. And, you know, uh, and Jesus was the guy who was kind of like the kingdom's here, like the you know, and, and that's the position of, of some of these scholars, right? The kingdom's here. So he was sort of, there was, um, there was a first, or there was an, there was a, you know, there was a prophet saying, no, yes, God's important, but the kingdom is, is actually here and we're here. And, uh, and we have, we sort of have this agency or power. Um, and so you can imagine all these people who were like, screw the empire and Jesus is Lord. Like those people are not the Lord. Jesus is Lord. So it's kind of interesting in terms of like the message of historical Jesus too, in terms of, or at least the position of a lot of these scholars, that Jesus is kind of this guy saying like, Hey, the kingdom's here. Uh, we, we have agency or we are agents of, of God. Can you see why this could be really confusing though? Because totally, but, but not just like today, but even back then, even let's just go their language in their time, because suddenly that you start having these writers and influencers, if you will, Instagram influencers, influencers. <laughs> and they use the same language of the empire of their time, which means if you're using the same language, that would then, I would think imply that it would, you, you would use the same might and force and all the things of, of the empire. Like if Jesus is Lord and Caesar's not, well, then we're going to kick ass, right? If Jesus is Messiah, which, so there's another one, Messiah, and that's someone who's going to save us. And so, and, you know, John, John's hoping for this, his, his cousin, if you will. We think he may, may or may not have been his cousin. This guy in the wilderness who preached a baptism of repentance, and Jesus gets baptized by him. And there are very different kind of ministries happening there between John and Jesus, but also some overlap, too. Is there, is there supposed to be this end of the world? And if that's the case, and you have a Messiah who's bringing it, like we're, then we're bringing the wrath of God we're throwing Sodom and Gomorrah down on these Roman assholes over here and the horse that they rode in on. Yeah, that's, that would be more confusing then than it is now because at least now we can look back at the language and context going, oh, yeah, they had it wrong. Um, well, but actually the confusion breeds in, ble- bleeds into today because there, are, there is that kind of end times narrative that this is going to happen. And the problem is, is that it doesn't. We're still, we're living here right now. And for many of us, that, me, that includes watching our, our country be shredded and people be oppressed and people being put in internment camps and seeing all kinds of horrible evils being lived out under the name of Christ. And there is no rescue. Right. So- and so I think, I, I think it gets really confusing because at least the way that I was taught, like there's this thing coming that's going to make everything better. We're, there's this opportunity for rescue here. And even if that doesn't come in our lifetime, we're going to get to go there and, and it'll be beautiful. And when you start dealing with the text in this kind of historical context, mm-hmm. you have to come to terms with the fact that I may live and die through this period of time and nothing happens. And there, there is no guarantee that, that there's anything else. And if you read Hebrews, like a good Bible student would, it, it talks about that, that these people, they went through all this stuff and hardship and, you know, death by the sword and this and that, and they didn't see that any thing. Any of it. Any of it. No, none of it. 
I think what you were talking about uh, for like the messianic um, vision of people who believe that part of, of Jesus's role, um, you know, it, it makes, it, it puts us in this very sticky position because, you know, I, I, I think one of the universal truths is it doesn't matter what period of history you live in. It always feels like it's the end of the world. It's the end of times. Like right now we're getting news reports that we have, you know, 10 years to reverse global warming and Greenland you know, is we, melting presently. <laughs> we have <laughs> lots of scientific evidence that is really scary. And then you have people who are taught this messianic vision of the world where they're kind of like, well, bring it on because like, yippee, like I want this to be the end of times. I want to go be with Jesus. And that, that to me is hor horrific because I have 2000 plus years of history where I say, well, no, there isn't anybody who's going to come and rescue us. Like we're here to rescue ourselves. And are we going to rescue ourselves or is, you know, the world going to create this catastrophe? So let's go back to these titles in just a second. This is a good rabbit trail hole to talk about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven that we're already kind of talking about now. So did this, this is the dominant message of this, of this Lord, of this man, Jesus, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. I mean, it, how many times, I don't know, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it is like, if, if you actually read the gospels and if you have, if you look at the wording of Jesus, it is all the time. It's like a broken record and it would irritate you if you were, if you had some issue with people repeating things over and over again. So did that message, did it fall on deaf ears or did it come to fruition? Because Jesus even talked about like, these things are going to take place before you, before you pass away, which according to whoever wrote that Jesus words, how that redaction happened. I don't know, but it's there in the text in the canonized text. So what relevance does that kingdom have today? And we've already touched on this a bit, the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. And let me just start with saying recently a family member came to myself and then came to my wife like the next day and asked us about heaven. Like, do you believe in heaven? To which I, I didn't know what she said because she told me after the fact. And I was like, oh, same person came to me the day before. And I said, well, you know, for, you know, one, Jesus is a, is a Jew. I started there. There's really not much about the afterlife. And, and um, you know, it's all very speculative. And so, you know, but I say, I think that the real thing is about the, the present, the, the here and the now, mm -hmm. which we've talked about. And this person was very like, well, what happens when we die? Like that was like, that was the main thing. And and then, of course, my wife the next day talked to the same person, and she's like, yeah, you know, Jews weren't really big into that, still aren't today, and Jesus talks about this kingdom of heaven, kingdom on earth. But it, that that might be the provocative sort of like, it pokes people in the wrong rib, I don't know where, and they get squirmy, because if the kingdom is not elsewhere, if it's not when you die, then then what about This now? is it. Yeah. What do you mean the heaven's here? I used to have a t-shirt. And it said, kingdom of heaven is here. And I loved it. I don't know where it went, but I wore it all the time. Of course, I, I probably look like that religious kid wearing it. That's okay. But it made people go, what? Kingdom of heaven's here? That's what Jesus said. It's right there in the Lord's Prayer, man. <laughs> yeah. So did it fall on, on deaf ears? Jesus said it was going to happen. It was going to take place. It absolutely has, because the theology has gone in a completely different rabbit hole i mean the i would say the majority of you know people who consider themselves traditionally christian do believe in heaven and do believe that believing in christ and believing in the resurrection are going to literally save them forever to be in this place that they call heaven it like, does it does make like you, a lot of people it makes you sleep point. better at night sure i mean i yeah i i don't know because i i you know a lot of these historical jesus scholars that give people the willies a little bit, right? You know, have discussions about the resurrection and have writings about the resurrection that I, I, I'm not sure I know well enough to really talk about on, on the podcast. But what's interesting, so I'll go personal then for a minute, is like, I'm not sure I care. I'm not sure I'm that concerned with the literal resurrection of Jesus. And I'm not sure that that makes 
like Jesus the Jew or, you know, the historical Jesus the Jew or the Jesus story any less significant for me personally. And again, we're in that historical personal Jesus space. So, um, so, you know, like, yeah, a lot of people totally, the theology is, and a lot of people go there, like heaven is the kingdom that, you know, shall be yours, you know, right. If you, you know, accept Jesus Christ, your Lord and savior. But, um, I also, I also think probably just based on, uh, based on other world religion and, maybe just based on my personality type, like I'm totally more interested in the here and now um, just because I don't think, I don't think we can know what's going to happen after death. Yeah. So once you're unless, dead, what you dead, whatever you are right now is gone anyway. Yeah. Like I, I just don't care. The I consciousness just, is interesting. Like concerned. I'd like to know where that goes. Sure. But yeah. So I really like what you said. And I think that moves us into the next step, which is on the list here about Jesus, the rabbi. Right. And, and you have, basically lots of different sects of Christianity, but you have, you know, the more traditional conservative views of Christianity where the resurrection and, and salvation is the point. And then you have the more liberal so- social justice uh, Christians where the teachings are the point. And when, um, you know, Rob was explaining well, is the resurrection even important? I mean, he literally could have taken the words out of my mouth. And and the to me, to the people that grew up in churches like I did, that's not the point. The point is his actions, his deeds, treating people in the same manner that he tra- he he treated people and trying to make the world a better place. So I think that that's where it comes down to, you know, However, you see Jesus; he's a reflection of your, of your theology and your values. Yeah, N.T. Wright also uh, mentioned his name earlier. One of the big third quest theologians of the modern time, he said that the significance of Jesus's resurrection is not simply that it opens up hope for life after death for individual Christians, but that the new creation has already begun. He said Jesus' resurrection meant that the story of God, Israel, and the world had entered into its new phase. It was about history and eschatology, not just about personal futures. And this is a conservative theologian. Well, I say that. I say that because some conservative Christians would say, N.T. Wright's liberal. You know, there's always going to be somebody on the left and the right of you. But based on the academic theologians that actually are like worth their salt. N.T. Wright is respected among the academic world and he would be conservative. And yet he is saying the same thing that, that what we're saying and what liberal Christians have said too. So I find that interesting. It's, I was just going to say, it's not good sales. Like it's not good sales, man. Uh, and like discerning, you know, thoughtful Jesus is like a little Oh, it's kind of hard to slog through if we really got to go there. It's, it's just, it's, it's not, it's not easy to sell. Sorry. What were you going to say? Oh, it's okay. Um, I, I think for me, just talking personally again, um, one of like the greatest revelations in my life was when I learned about what happened at the council of Nicaea and, um, the Nicaean creed, because I think, um, before I learned the history about that, I was in this camp of, of being on the more liberal side and not even being sure if I was allowed to call myself Christian because I didn't know if I could legitimately say I believed in these things that you say in the Nicene Creed. And when I look at it, I'm like, no, 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 <laughs> I don't believe most of it. And to, to find out that there was actually this world that existed before um, the statement that I was raised to say every single day, um, or every single Sunday, um, that had a different worldview, like gave me so much freedom to have this dif- different understanding where I could have these views that this person was still really important and did really great things to the world. Um, but I didn't have to, I guess, put it in a box where, something like salvation became so important that that was the only focus. So a body that comes back to life 
is that the same thing as resurrection? Or are we using the word resurrection to as an umbrella term? Are they are they two different things? Like, are you talking about like the the biological right. like uh, occurrence of because resurrection because, because, back because resurrection life? is clearly an orthodox theology that you cannot refute. It is what it is. It's been there. But are we confusing that with ba boom ba boom flesh sinews bone fleet all the all these right resuscitation versus resurrection is there a versus there have we just put the umbrella on resurrection being all of that it's all what what is res- I mean, how about this what what is resurrection to you if it's a theological component a key driving force that that created Christianity as religion. I mean, it's that was that was a big thing, preaching Christ crucified and resurrected. I mean, that that was it. Born of the Virgin Mary as well. Yeah, but I think that one, while I want to say important to a lot of people historically, yes, I think Christ crucified and resurrected. That kind of that's those are the pivotal ones. If you're going to pick two, that's it. I'd agree with that. So what is resurrection? To me, growing up, the the I, I personally I don't know I don't I don't know if I believe in Jesus's resurrection or not. But wait, 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 wait. So, so then you are lumping resurrection with resuscitation, like you're together. Uh, you're putting those two together. Is that, is that am I hearing you right? When you say that, what are you saying? Now I have to think about it. Um, so I think the story that we have in the Bible where you roll away the stone and Jesus is gone. And, you know, then he appears as a ghost like figure. Um, like that part of the story to me, I, I don't know if it's true. I, I guess I can go for it. And I can also just say like, it's um, literary agent. Um, but to me, it's not really important. Like the important part is what happened before then. And it makes more sense to me, I think, to to really believe that it is literary agent. Um, like I said, I it's something that I struggle with, um, but I know for sure that my grandparents would be like rolling over in their grave if they heard me say that. Right. And this is a very modern kind of questioning that we're giving each other back and forth. And I apologize for that. It is what it is living in the 21st century. Well, I was century. kind of wondering about that because I think... I think there is something, and this is a little tongue-in-cheek, not trying to overuse it, but it's a little me too of us. Like, the women's witness is that he is not here, he is risen. That is what they told us. And, and if the fact that that's even recorded... They believed it. Well, and it, but the fact that it's even recorded that the women said that they saw this and believed it... Like, that's almost miraculous, given the time period and the context and who was writing the books. Like, that could have been completely redacted. And so... Is it, is it why this movement was different than other movements? Because of women telling this, this crazy radical know. story that should not happen ever in the history of all humans? Well, and, and when you read the historical um, development of religion in that part of the world for several thousand years before them, these female religions and matriarchal religions that existed, this was the real deal. This was the underpinnings of the culture and the currents. And at the time of Christ, that stuff was starting to turn. It was starting to become more patriarchal. It was starting to become more uh, driven by the man's line. So I, 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 I wonder if we're just getting this like weird glimpse of something changing in the world and the fact that somehow that still remained in the text that the women said he is risen. He is not here. And that's a new life. Something that is, that is, that is resurrection in and of itself. Right. So whether it's, he had a heartbeat and was still bleeding or he, some image of him came to inspire them or just we get the the record of the conversation on Emmaus. Yeah, that's that's another weird one. Like, who is this like, person that that appears and then is gone? Something happened. Some something happened, and you you can't mansplain away 
yeah. the fact that this artifact that was very countercultural, that the women were the first to see it, has survived. So what, is, what does the story say about death? I think that's, that's very important. Mm. Regardless of if you think it literally happened or not, what, what does the story that they believed in wholeheartedly say about death? I, that, that it's conquerable, that it's, it is not the final word. Now, they don't necessarily tell us what anything means beyond that, but that death is not the end of the story. And maybe we try too hard sometimes to paint that picture of what does that mean? Maybe we could just accept that we will die, and that's not the end of the story. And, and in between then... Like, we get to live out the truth that God wanted to recreate the world to make it beautiful again. And that's what we've been, we've been encouraged to do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, to, uh, to me, there's, there's, the, there's the sort of overarching discussion of Jesus the Jew and Caesar, right? And the, 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 empire and imperialism and there's this there's this juxtaposition between jesus and the 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 powers of the day and jesus being the champion of the the people essentially like jesus was the ultimate populist man um and uh and like there's there's uh because like crossing for example is one historian who says like total fiction like the the resurrection story of the people at the tomb the you know like all later invented by you know christian writers etc cetera, etc cetera. even if that's the case i do think it's interesting that uh that women were the first to discover even if this is a fictitious story or or oral storytelling or whatever the case right like there's got to be some significance there and uh and the story to me like really has the the uh it really has the uh the sort of overarching theme of of that yeah that you know there's there's a legacy beyond our life that that something carries on beyond death and also that there's a way to be in the world that um that extends your extends your spirit right beyond your death. Uh, and that, that the sort of Imperial, uh, money owners of the, and owners of the time were not the chosen ones. Um, and that, you know, you, you, the kingdom of heavens on earth and, and that you, you know, that the resurrection, the story of the resurrection is this like promise that, to live with virtue, to, um, to live as Jesus, the Jew lived, uh, you'll find, you'll find a lifetime of happiness or you'll have a better chance at least of finding the lifetime of happiness. And I, I love Easter, man. Love Easter. Big Easter guy, big Passover. I learn more and more about all the time. Uh, um, and I, and I still don't know how much I care about, the factual event of the resurrection, but I find the story to be incredible. Well, I think this piece about empire, I think you're onto something because the, the empire writes the history, the empire tells the story and the empire of that time was one of the strongest on the planet. And we still have this story. It's still here. And it's still ringing out that there is resurrection and new life. And I can't explain what that means at the end. I don't know that that promises us anything. But the fact that this ragtag group that was in hiding, that was being persecuted, that was trying to make sense of their world their story has survived somehow in the face of, of all kinds of empires and in the face of our own empire. There are still Christians doing this work of 
calling out internment camps and calling out oppression and telling the stories of unborn children and children stolen from their families. Like we are still, the, the narrative continues on. It rings on, even though the empire is powerful and rich and controls the airwaves and all of that. Like I, and that's not a super tangible thing. Like no guarantees in that. But the fact that we have the story, I, I, I wonder if that's what matters. I um I really liked uh, how you put into perspective um, the part of the story that like the most important part of the story is the part that the women are the central figure in, and um, I think it's really beautiful. Um, and just to just to play, I guess, devil's advocate though, if if you did feel like you needed to have a story like this. Um, I, I see reasons that you would make the women be the the core characters. One, because, you know, Mary was the disciple that was never questioning. So she deserves it, sort of. Mm. Um, but also it was it was their duty to stay with the body just from yeah. a cultural from a cultural perspective so who else would it have been right yeah and i th- i think like when i was really little before you know i was really thinking like well is this true or um what does it mean i think one of the things that that is kind of u- universal going through the different stories of the bible is the appearance of the angels and i think like as like the little me when I first heard the story, like that's what Jesus was in the resurrected form was Mm. he was an angel. Mm -hmm. And even though I have so much trouble with the whole story and, and also love Easter and believe it just has so much hope for the world. um, Like I firmly believe that there is something that happens to us after life. And I firmly believe that, there are these things called ghosts because we don't have another word for them or angels that are around um, doing their business. I don't know what that business is. Um, So for me, it just like, it's all bouncing around in my head, I guess. Um, But I, I think that like my innermost self would really like to believe that this happened and the reason the women are the central figure is because, like, it was the core truth that you can't remove. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, too, that this we have this resurrection story when, you know, most of what we have in, like, you know, historical Jesus is that Jesus proclaimed the sort of brokerless, um, to use the language of what we've crossed in here, the brokerless kingdom. And thus, uh, you know, Jesus himself makes no claim to be its king. And, uh, and then we, we, have, we have Catholicism, right? That historical Catholicism that is just like, there's totally God brokers. Like right. the Pope, you know, pay us your indulgence fees. You know, like, so it's, it's interesting. Like the history of Christianity, like has so... Uh, has so, you know, uh, made things perverse that it's without like digging into historical Jesus, uh, it's hard to, it's hard to unravel and untangle. I mean, without like a more extensive understanding of Judaism, which is something I feel like I continue to try and learn more and more about, like, it's hard to, uh, to speak, um, about like Jesus without, without some of that context, like, and then the response to that from kind of the more conservative vein is, well, I don't need any of that stuff. We know who Jesus is. It's right here. Okay. You have no idea what any of that means, but good for you. Like, I, it's just so interesting to me that it just, that's where the, the lines fall of those of us that are trying to understand what was actually happening want to keep digging and those that claim to know the truth refuse to learn. Um, and that's not a great place to land when you're trying to figure out how to move forward. No, it's not. So let's move forward. 
Marcus Borg, the late Marcus Borg, said this. Beliefs have little ability to, to change our lives. <laughs> one can believe all the right things and remain a jerk. Hey, I think he was a part of our group at one point. <laughs> <laughs> or worse, what matters is not believing in the lens, but seeing through the lens. So going back to these titles that we believe, and I'm going to use quotes right here, right, to be true, uh, whether it's Lord, Son of Man, Son of God, Messiah, Rabbi. So I'm just kind of curious for you all, getting back to the personal historical Jesus, I'm emphasizing personal here, what title resonates with you the most and why? Because that's really what matters according to Borg, not so much that you believe it, but that it, right? It's, it's how that, that lens in which you see the world. TikTok. You you can feel free to start if you want, just because I think this is constantly changing for me and might have yeah. even changed a little bit tonight. So yeah. have at her. Go ahead and start. I love the Rabbi Jesus. I've called Jesus Rabbi for years and it's made people look at me funny. And then eventually once they get to know me, they get it. Because a rabbi is simply somebody that's, uh, it's the great one and that you're following. It's the one that you want to be covered in their dust, that you want to talk like them, look like them, fart like them. I mean, all the things in which the rabbi does, you want to do. And I've found that to be incredibly fascinating. So if this is the person that we say that is our, our Lord and Savior, that actually goes back to rabbi. Because you, can, you can't claim Jesus as Lord and Savior if he's not your rabbi. I mean, if you want to put yourself in the historical Jesus context, right, and you're, and you're one of the 12 chosen or, or Mary or one of the others who are, they're, they're sitting at his feet, they're drinking in every word. They're asking questions. They're, but they're asking the, the questions in order for them to be like the rabbi. And if Jesus is the most intriguing, provocative, amazing, beautiful person in the world, I go, the rabbi thing is, uh, it's beautiful. Because it, it, it means more than a teacher. It means more than any of the things that we can talk about with our, with our seminary classes or college classes. It's like I'm living with this person, which I know is weird in our, in our Western context, but I mean, you're, 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 you're there all the time. Like whatever this person's doing, you're going to copy that because you, you believe that their, their life and their actions, um, the teachings aren't just like esoteric, right? They're embodied. So that, that, that is the kingdom of heaven. Like the actual life of Jesus, that's the kingdom of heaven. So that, that to me is why it's interesting. Like I come and follow me, right? That's, that's what he says. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to make you fishers of men or uh, all the things in which he says, like, okay, I guess, I guess I'll go out on the water. And Peter's like, ah, I'm a, Peter's a fisherman. Jesus is telling Peter how to fish. And Jesus is like, throw the net on the other side. He's like, we were already out there. What do you, can you imagine? Like Peter's probably going, you jackass rabbi internally, but he's like, I'm going to do it because, because, and he said that because you said so. And Peter does it. Man, I suck at that. I don't want to do what other people say, just because you know, like. But I think that's a lesson for me, as as like I'm I'm such a Western modern man, right? I'm so white, I'm so male, and I you know I don't want to follow anybody else. So I think the rabbi is good for me. It's good for me to humble myself and to follow this Christ that says I can inherit the kingdom of heaven. But it's not done the ways in which that I, yeah. I think, right? So anyway, I I'm also a, a big a synoptic fanatic. So all the things that Jesus is saying and doing, like I, one time a friend and I, we memorize a sermon on the Mount and we're like trying to like figure out what that looks like. And, um, I'm far from it, but the rabbi thing again, I'll emphasize that one because that's, that's what he was in the text. The other terms, I like to debate them in my head and they're fun. And I can tell you what I think they mean, but not as interesting. I think I land with Rob in that, I haven't actually thought about this in quite a while. And so I can give you the last answer that I felt comfortable with. And now I don't even know where I would land on that. But so I have been a a dedicated Trinitarian uh, since seminary. I really think there is beauty in the mystery of three in one that is unique to our story, but is also tied deeply into other traditions And I think that there is something, the fact that you can't really explain in English and you can't really understand what three-in-one means 
is godlike. And so um, for me, a lot of the time in the last few years, I refer to the Trinity as creator, redeemer, and sustainer. And so Jesus holds that label of redeemer. And, but it's not a, it's not just like he lived and died on the cross and rose again, redeemer, like that, that he is the one that is constantly working on our behalf to give us hope and to bring us into the future and to bring about the recreation of the world. Um, and to pull us forward with him to empower us through the power of the Trinity that lives in us and also lives in the Godhead to live out his desires and hopes and dreams for the world. Um, and I find that very inspiring. It's not quite as personal as rabbi, but that image for me of that when we have Christ in us and are connected into the Godhead through the spirit, there is a power there that we don't have on our own. Um, and ontologically, I'm not sure that I can defend any of that, but um, Redeemer is probably the closest label I have for him. I um, definitely fall into the rabbi category. And um, I think for me, um, that his teachings are very important and how I sort of align myself in the social justice um, side of the church. Um, but one of the things that I also, well, one of the things that I also, um, I guess, keep in the back of my mind is his role as Messiah because um, the, the Jewish sacred texts are all pointing in this like very complicated way that every single time I learn something new about the Jewish text, I'm just blown away that, you know, X, Y, Z is connected in this way that like I could never see before. And um, so I, I think that, that it, I guess it's possible to be both that, that maybe he is the answer to the call um, that you hear in the, in the Old Testament, but but I think the difference between how I see it and maybe how somebody who is um, who sees that in a more traditional view of Christianity is that when I see Jesus as the rabbi, I see him as like my teacher, but I don't see him as the only teacher, and I think that that leaves room for all of these other different paths. Um, like in, in Buddhism, you know, Jesus is considered a Buddha. So if he's just one of the many answers, to me, that fits in my head, I think. Whereas I think a lot of people would reject that notion that he has to be, he has to be the only answer. Yeah, this is an interesting one. And you know, it's, I, I feel like as I maybe dig into this more, um, rabbi might be a title that, that, uh, takes on a great deal of meaning for me. Son of man is one that probably resonates with me because, uh, there's no references to son of man, uh, according to something I'm looking at online here and the Christian creeds it's used in the Hebrew Bible. Um, and used multiple times as sons of men referring to like human beings. Um, and it's used in the canon to sort of as an affirmation of Jesus as human, which is sort of like the thing about Jesus, right? Is that the Jesus story, Jesus is the, is the, is God made man and Jesus is the human, um, uh, you know, uh, portion of the Trinity. <laughs> um, and so that, that feels particularly important to me as we talk about historical Jesus, because it's like, Jesus is man. Jesus is human. The kingdom of heaven isn't out there. The kingdom of heaven is here, um, for us to 
participate in, to experience. Um, and, and also Jesus as a commute, Jesus as a community leader, right? Like I'm kind of community obsessed or I say that a lot. I'm community obsessed because I feel like, uh, community is really where, you know, when we're in communion with other people, like that's where we, that's where we're most human and we are, you know, we're forming connection. Right. And, uh, and Jesus was like the ultimate community guy, uh, and sort of stood for everything that was outside of the power structures of the day. Um, wasn't very prepared, right. As a community organizer though. No, no. Who's got fish. Who's got bread. Well, and he was just kind of like, for those of you who don't have community, come hang out. Like, I guess you're, you're going to eat yeah. at some point in the night. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm kidding. Right. So, yeah, I mean, uh, that's that really resonates with me. Um, and, yeah, so I uh, – but but that's probably evolving. I'm, you know, I don't know. But Son of Man is, is what resonates Well, we talked about Jesus. Our time is up. We are doing one part podcast these days. Yeah. Which is hard for us because we could yeah. keep talking for we an, could. another hour, which is what we're going to do in a couple of days at the pub with other people. But for you listeners out there, I hope that what this does is it allows you to dig a little bit deeper. And you may say, ah, oh, to hell with Jesus. And that's okay. We still love you. We do. But the quest, if you're interested, the quest, here are some resources. You have Albert Schweitzer, if you want to go back, The Quest of the Historical Jesus. Then you have David Flusser, love Flusser, by the way. He wrote Jesus, the Sage from Galilee. There's an um, updated version of that. And his mentee, Brad Young, also, by the way, has some really good stuff out there. A little personal bias slant. Uh, E.P. Sanders, the historical figure of Jesus. Then you have John Dominic Crossan, which Rob has referenced a couple times who wrote The Historical Jesus, and then, as mentioned a couple times tonight, N.T. Wright and Marcus Borg co-wrote The Meaning of Jesus, really good side-by-side. Two guys who are on different ends of the spectrum as far as the historical Jesus and yet are, are well-respected and respect each other in that regard. So if you like what you heard, do us a favor, share it online. iTunes is, is like the mothership. Even though we are hosted by Podbean, give Podbean some love. But if you want to give this more listenership out there, go to iTunes, rate it, review it, share that. We're at Brew Theology on Instagram and Facebook, Brew underscore on Twitter. And BrewTheology.org is where you could find all the goodies of how you could start your own chapter in your community. Sounds Cheers. Great. Cheers. Cheers. Aloha.